right, I was told there are no announcements, but I do want to share a couple of quick things. Um, this is the last Sunday in August, and as many of you know, we have been praying this month, uh, especially for our THMCEM, our 822 camp prayer campaign. Um, every morning and evening at 820, you've received a note to pray, uh, especially for THMCEM. And uh, we've been using the acronym PRAY as a way to guide our prayers. And just as a reminder, this will be our last Sunday, and you'll get the notice for three more days. But PRAY is for praying for our pastors. So um, I don't know if all of you are aware, but um, I've, I'm, this will be my last Sunday with you all. So... Uh, you know, I know that the transition is hard. Um, my heart is heavy because um, you've gone through several pastoral changes already. And I really want you to know that it brings me no joy to, to feel like leaving, like right in the midst when I feel like there's good momentum and things are coming to place. But I do feel like um, God has a pastor for you. So we just need to pray for that. The P is for the pastor to come. So I'm, I'm praying with you, and I'm praying for you. So let's pray that God will send um, the person that um, he has ready for this congregation. The R is for revival, that God will revive our spirits, revive our passion for the gospel. The A is for action, that we will just not just pray and, and meditate and just, just really enjoy the blessings of God without living out the word, which today's message is going to be about. And the why is really asking God for what your role in this congregation is. The body, this entire church is the body of Christ. You are the church. And so God has a purpose for you to be active in this church. And uh, you, we need to pray for discernment. God, how can I step up? How can I uh, hear your call to serve in this congregation now? So that's P-R-A-Y. If you haven't been able to pray as regularly, you uh, sign up for the, um, the text messages. They will come like clockwork. You, will, you can set your day by it. I, in the morning, I know when my phone goes off and I get a notice, I know it's the uh, prayer text and in the evening as well. Okay? Um, and then just to encourage you to continue faithful, um, even as you have uh, people who will be doing pulpit supply filling in a little bit, just remember you are the church. The pastor isn't the church. You are the church, and you have a good leadership in place. You have a good pacing. You have everything in place to continue to thrive as a community. So I encourage you to be all the more faithful. Like, like if, you have, if you haven't come out you know, regularly, or if you are coming out regularly, come out even more regularly and invite your friends to do so in this next few months during the transition. Okay, So uh, that's my encouragement or my version of the announcements for you all. With that, let's look at today's text. This is the last part of the Sermon on the Mount series, and it's going to be the last verses um, on Matthew chapter 7. There's the verse 28, but we're going to go up to verse 27. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. There are 
four observations I would like to make from this text that hopefully will encourage you. I know that once Sunday comes and goes, we sometimes forget about what we heard, but I do want you to reflect back on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I would encourage you to go home this week and read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 again um, as we conclude because what Jesus is saying now is, is a way to summarize everything that he said in the previous chapters. There are four observations I just want to draw from this text, hopefully that will encourage you and help you uh, in, your, in your faith, in your walk with God. And the first is that hearing the word of God is the first step in obeying God. In other words, if you don't know what God desires from us, it is hard to walk in obedience. Dale Bruner, as I mentioned quite frequently, he's, he wrote the commentary on Matthew. That's my favorite. I've given him a lot of plugs. Uh, uh, he's, a, he's a really nice, he's an elderly scholar, and he, was at, he used to come to study. He's retired from Whitworth. He used to come and study at the Fuller Library almost every day, like clockwork. Uh, he's a great gentleman. He says this about this passage. He says, how can we do words we have not heard or have wisdom to do God's will without knowing what it is or have the power to do it without the inspiration of hearing? So once again, obedience begins with the hearing the word of God. There's a notion or a lot of people who don't follow God often say, well, I just don't know what God wants from me. If God would just tell me what he wants from me, I will do it. Well, let me tell you, my uh, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God has made it plenty clear what he desires from us. What God desires from us is his vision of life. The, the Sermon on the Mount is not just about do's and don'ts. It's really about going behind the do's and don'ts, right? Jesus often says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, but I tell you, Okay. We have learned in the Old Testament, people live by the do's and don'ts of the law. And now Jesus says there's a vision of life behind the do's and don'ts, and that is the reign of God as king. God, I, I want you to really hear me when I say this. God has a vision for your life that is good. His desire for you is for good. His desire for you is for your joy. His desire for you is an abundant life. But that vision Sometimes it's different from what we think is a good life. And so what God does on the Sermon on the Mount is he repaints and re gives our imagination a new picture of what that life is. God has a plan for you. God desires for you to live the life that is good for you, that glorifies God. And we, become, we come to live that life foremost by hearing what Jesus says to us. We have to hear to know what God desires. The second is that when you hear Jesus' words, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you are, by the virtue of listening, listen to what Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words, everyone who then hears these words. In other words, this passage isn't meant for everyone. It doesn't apply to everyone. It's not for everyone in the world. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, so that when you hear Jesus' words, you are no longer unaware of this great vision that God gives. You know the term ignorance is bliss? 
Have you heard that phrase, ignorance is bliss? Sometimes when you learn or hear something, you can't unhear it, right? We joke around like you see something that's traumatic. You're like, oh, I can't unsee that. Like, for example, we're doing the food series on Wednesdays. Right? When you see some of the, the, the plight of factory farming, when you see some images of the factory farming, you can't unsee that. You can't be in ignorance anymore of reality. What happens when you hear Jesus' words is that by virtue of hearing Jesus' words, you are put at a crossroads, at a fork in the road. Because Jesus says that everyone who hears these words of mine have two choices then. They can obey or they can just go on living their life. If you didn't hear Jesus' words, you can live in ignorance. And that's an option that's not presented here in today's text. Today's text is for those who have heard Jesus' word. And if you are one of those who have heard Jesus' word, you are now at a fork in the road. There is no third option. It is either obedience or we don't obey. Now, it is really important for you to realize this. Um, for those of you who have been coming to church for the past few months, you've been hearing Jesus say to us about what it means to be blessed, what it means to live, um, letting our yeses be yes and no's be no, speaking, living a life uh, where truth and integrity in speaking is, is valued. Uh, you know, we talked about prayer and the centrality of communal prayer and all of these things. You've heard these things, and now you're aware of them. And now Jesus says you are at a road where your choices are just basically to obey or not obey. And the third thing from this text that I think is really important where I want to spend a little bit of time is that in ending his sermon the way he does, Jesus warns us against the self-deceiving possibility of knowledge without obedience. There is, there is there's something about knowledge that can deceive ourselves into thinking we are in a more solid place than we are. I'm going to show you a little bit of a video clip. It's three minutes long. I'm going to show that to you in a second. But I do want to preface this. I'm going to talk about living out our faith, acting out on our faith. But just living or doing things in a frenetic pace is not also pleasing to God. Just remember, just a few verses before today's passage, Jesus talks about those who come to him on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. So action in of themselves can be empty as well. There's a kind of action that flows out of obedience that's rooted in faith that Jesus is talking about. Jesus said, make the tree good, and then the fruit will be good. Not try to make the fruit good, and then the tree will be good. It's make the tree good. Jesus wants our hearts transformed. That's why he begins with the Beatitudes. It's our heart's desires. What is our heart's desires? Remember, if you don't remember anything from this series, this is a takeaway that I want you to remember. Getting what you want in life is not happiness. Can you just say that with me? Getting, say, getting what I want in life is not happiness. I, I mean that. Desiring the right things and pursuing them is happiness. Is having our hearts changed and transformed 
to desire the right thing, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be meek, desiring the right things, to seek reconciliation and peace, loving our enemies, desiring the right things, and shaping our lives around those right desires is the happy life. Now, there is a way, so frenetic activity, just doing things for the sake of doing them, action, is not what God wants. God wants our hearts transformed, and then as a tree is made good, then our fruit, our actions that flow out of that life becomes honoring to God, okay? But there's a way that knowledge in and of itself, like you're sitting here, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And sometimes when we think we understand something just with head knowledge, there's a potential of being deceived into thinking under, knowing is the goal. Like, oh, I get it. I know it. And therefore, I'm at a good place. And Jesus warns us against that. And I want to watch this video. I love this video. It's a little bit old. But this is a video that captures this concept in a way that I think is really easy to understand. So if we can hit the lights and just watch this video. It's about three minutes, okay? It's actually seven minutes, but watching the first three minutes. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill and I was really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Sandlin. First attempt riding the bicycle. All right. So, the faster I go, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sure. couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it, but that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic precession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm, and if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're gonna try some trick or they're just gonna power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. <laughs> All right, so uh, whatever you're in. Yeah. Quickly! No, no, you have to keep your feet on. Dude, all right, keep it going. Just keep it going. 
So I, I show this video quite often when you talk about translating knowledge and understanding. How many of you think you can ride that bike? My son's like, I can ride this. I can, I'll get that 200 for sure. And I, I, I wish I had a bike like that just to put him in his place. That's my youngest, by the way. Um, think of it this way. So let's say your life, the way you lived your life, is the way that you've learned to ride a bike, meaning that you've learned to pedal and you learned to steer and balance all of the things he talked about, building that algorithm. And that life is where you get what you want is happiness. Um, your well-being is your most important priority. These are the way that we grew up. This is our default sinful nature that we have sort of learned to live life. Okay? And all of a sudden, the gospel comes and turns the world upside down. The left is right. The poor are now blessed. The meek are blessed. Right? Those who hunger and thirst are blessed. The peacemakers are blessed. The powerful aren't the ones with the most might. It is the humble the last shall be first, the first shall be last. And all of these things, Jesus turns left and right into it. So in our heads, we hear that and we're like, okay, I got to live a different way. I'm going to live with different values. But it's just like that bike. We try to get on it and try to live that way, but it doesn't come as easily as we think. Just because we get it in our head that the poor are blessed, it doesn't mean that we experience or know what it means to live the blessed life as those who are poor, whose, whose reward is the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? The way we transform, and this is not part of today's text, the, the path to obedience is training in righteousness. It's not an overnight thing where you all of a sudden become a holy person. It is this rigorous training of learning to walk now in this new way. And in this video, he practices every day riding this bike for like eight months, and he can ride this reverse bike. The reason you gather on Sundays, part of the reasons, not, not all of it, part of the reason is this liturgy that we do, the call to worship, the prayer of confession, the praise, the giving of offering, listening to the word, taking part in communion. This liturgy is like training in a gym. This liturgy, when you wake up in the morning and you do your devotions, when you, when you forgive others, when you exercise, when you do fasting, when you do the spiritual formational disciplines, these are ways that God trains us over time so that we can grow in righteousness and walk. Transformation is not overnight. It's not something that happens with a wave of the hand and all of a sudden you say a magic prayer and you're this new person. Some of the change does happen. We're justified. But in terms of living life in this new vision takes commitment and, and trust in God's way, God's process. And no, just knowing something doesn't mean that we have it handled. God, God doesn't just want you to know that you're forgiven and so you should forgive. He wants you to experience forgiving others because there is this deep, when someone has wronged you, when someone has actually done something to harm you, when someone has lied to you and betrayed you, when someone has stolen from you, when someone has offended you or slandered you, it's hard to forgive that person because we've been wrong. 
But when you experience the grace of God in forgiving you, when that forgiveness is so real that you can forgive that other person, that's what it means to live out the truth, right? It's not just knowing here, but actually living it out. Don't be, don't fool yourself to thinking that, okay, I know what's right, and therefore I have what is important. It's not. Knowing is not the important part. It is the living out God's truth that is important. Remember first, remember James chapter 122, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So knowledge has this potential to deceive ourselves into thinking that knowing itself is the end goal. It's not. It is living the life that God desires for you. The last thing I want to draw from this text is that um, obeying God does not deliver us from hard times. Look what the text says. It says, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew. Okay? So this is a person who obeyed God and built the house on the rock. This is a person who didn't trust God or obey God and built his house on the sand. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. The rain comes, rather you obey God or not. There's a, there's a little subtle, it's very subtle and it's very um, kind of uh, just below the radar. We don't actually voice it as much, but you hear sometimes in the prayers of people or when they talk, they're like, why is God letting this tragedy come in my life? When, when something bad happens in your life, you feel like because we are God's children, we should somehow be protected from the bad things in life. But Jesus tells us it's not, it's not God delivering us from the storm. It's like we sang in Cornerstone. It is through the storm that God holds us. And it is when through the storms that God's grace is sufficient that we feel like this faith thing is real. God doesn't deliver his people from trial. There are times God does protect us and and deliver us, answer prayer. But the greater biblical witness is that God allows his saints to go through trials and within the flame and the fire of those trials, he holds us because he wants us to know that faith is reliable. That if you trust God, it won't deliver you from the storms, but it will keep your house standing when the rains fall. Amen? Don't think God's going to make your life easy. It won't be. But in the midst of whatever God, whatever life may throw at you, the faith that God gives you is sufficient to keep you standing. And I hope... If you're facing a hard time, if you're going through transition in employment or work or in relationship, or there are things that you desired and you prayed for that just for whatever reason God hasn't delivered to you, just know that God's, not, God's desire for you is not to harm you, it's for your good, and that these trials come our way so that what is more precious than gold, our faith, can be proven real. Amen? Amen. Even this Ministry transition time for THMCEM. Why is another pastor leaving us? <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I, 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 if, you know, for me, it's, I really do care for you guys. You know that. In the five months that I've known you, I try to, um, not as a boast, I try to live out my care for you. Like, I've tried to meet with you. I try to um, always be on the giving side of, of God's grace to you. I do care for you. But you say, well, why are you leaving then? Why is God not giving us a pastor? Why do we have three pastors in, in a month and a year and a half? And why are we going through these hard times? It doesn't mean God's not in this. It's a, whatever hardships this ministry may be going through, don't see it as, as a sign that God is not with you. This may be God's grand design to bring something even more beautiful through it. But regardless of the end result, it's that God's grace will sustain you in the rainstorm. Amen? All right. So don't be discouraged. Take, take comfort in God's word to you.